had to get up from, uh, away from Cameron because she said, your stomach is rumbling right now. <laughs> I don't know about you. I had waffles this morning, and yet my stomach is saying, I'm ready to eat again. So I don't know what happened with that. Hey, today we have been experiencing something new. And wasn't that great, having a children's moment? Wasn't that just... This is a unified, I told you I was going to tell you a little more about it. This is a unified worship experience, um, and it's different. It's not a blended worship experience. In the past, we've done blended worship where you just basically take a hymn and rock it up and do a, do a hymn, and, and basically you say, well, we sang a hymn, we rock and rolled, we had a good time. And, uh, but this is unified worship, and what it means is that we're doing, attempting to do different facets of styles within one context of a worship service so that... Everyone in the room gets a chance to worship in their way that they understand and they relate best. And so that's what we did today. We created a service with different kinds of elements with one worship experience, as Steve said, so we could all be under the same roof together. And isn't that a great thing to do? In other words, when we sang praise and worship songs, we sang them with the band uh, as we would at Worship at the Water in 1015, and we sang hymns. And when we sang them, we sang them with the piano and with the organ, as we would at 9 o'clock worship. We recited the Apostles' Creed in a traditional manner, and we had a children's moment, which was more modern and contemporary. With everyone in the house today, we're joining together all of our styles so we can be unified in worship. And maybe you can appreciate those that were standing next to you that were singing the praise songs. And, and, and it may not have been your thing, but you could appreciate the way they were singing with heart. And vice versa, it could be this, that, that some of you were observing that there were some singing hymns and they were just loving it because that was the hymn that resonates with their heart. And now maybe, just maybe, there are a few of you in this room that loved it all. Amen. So, I'd like you to, to ask you to do something a little traditional for me today. And that is, as we read God's holy word, I would like for you to stand. And this comes from Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O oh God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed for a day in the courts, in your courts, is better 
than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Psalm 84 was intended to be sung in the temple. It was a hymn. It was a praise song. In the subtitle, we read, For the Music Director, which tells us the intention. Can you hear the beauty of God's dwelling place in the first few verses? In verses 1 through 4, can you hear the yearning for something greater, something more beautiful that can be imagined? Listen to to verses 1 and 2 again. How lovely is your tabernacle. What he's saying in other translations is your dwelling place. O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. The imagery is one of love and longing. How lovely my soul longs. The psalmist is expressing the desire I believe we all have as believers, a longing to be in the presence of God, especially considering the day we live in. Don't you find yourself longing for Jesus? I know I do. I was speaking to someone earlier in the service today, and he said, I'm ready. I'm so ready As you read further into this scripture, we find in verse 6 a place called the Valley of Baca. The Valley of Baca is mentioned in the Bible only once, and it's right here in Psalm 84, verse 6. Baca means weeping. Listen to verses 5 and 6 in the New Living Translation. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. Say with me, valley of weeping, valley of weeping. The Hebrew word baka, B-A-C-A, is related to baka, B-A-K-H-A-H, which means to weep. The valley of Baca is a wilderness covered by balsam trees. It was an oasis of hope for those traveling the difficult road going to Jerusalem in those days. Though they were in sorrow and pain, seeing the valley in the distance meant they were close to the end of their journey. The psalmist uses the valley of Baca symbolically to illustrate a difficult and sorrowful path in life leading to a place of hope. As you read further into the scripture, notice the hope. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, now hear it, they make it a spring. 
The rain also covers it with pools that go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. In the same way, those who experience sorrow in this life, and who doesn't, can find strength in the faith that we have in God. With the Lord held in his rightful place, we can find the valley of Baca becomes a very different place. The journey of a faithful Christian through times of hardship is a step-by-step journey from strength to strength. The valley of Baca helps illustrate the privilege and longing of all those who follow the Lord's journey. These followers possess an intense longing to worship the Lord. How lovely, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. They begin the journey strengthened by God himself and then remain faithful in their hearts. They grow spiritually stronger as they continue to meet, as they continue to persevere through the difficulties and sorrow and hardship. In the end, they find grace. Their valley of Baca turns into springs of uh, blessing, into pools of refreshment. As I experience this yearning for the dwelling place of God along with the psalmist, I've got to tell you, Jesus came and he defined it differently in some ways. When you think about the kingdom of God, he shook everything up. He shook it up as they understood it and as we understand it now. In Luke 17, 20 through 21, the Pharisees cornered Jesus and asked him when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus said this, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. What he meant is this, the kingdom of God, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, is right here, right here. It's through the blood and salvation of Jesus that we find the kingdom of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, and you should already be living in the kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus, eternity isn't something you yearn for. Eternity began when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And this is true hope. Colossians 3.2 says this, Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on this earth. In other words, live into the kingdom now. Sylvia and I recently made a change in service providers uh, with our cable. And uh, as we did this, we went to internet only, uh, meaning that we uh, basically, if we want to find the news, we have to stream it. Well, and if we have to stream the news, that means we have to go looking for it. You know, it's not like the days where you just turn on the TV and there the news is. You've got to search for it. That's freedom, y'all. 
I have to go work at finding the news. Well, who wants to do that? Have you seen the news lately? I don't want to go find the news. Maybe some of you may think that's, that's kind of, well, what's wrong with him that he doesn't want to watch the news? It's become depressing for me. It's a valley of Baca. That's right. <laughs> it's a place of weeping. But it, all, it wasn't always that way. Some of you may remember the days of Walter Conkright, and others of you in this room are going, who? Walter Conkright was considered the most trusted man in America during his time as an anchorman for the CBS News from 1962 to 1981. Everybody loved him. He was trustworthy. His famous catchphrase at the end of the nightly news was, that's right, and that's the way it was. Well, that's the way it was. Now, this isn't a soapbox about media. Sylvia and I have friends that work in, currently work in media, and we love them. They're great people. But we've also found that by watching very little news, we seem to be a little bit happier. You see, we find it easier to focus on the things of faith rather than the hardships surrounding us in this world. I just want to set my mind on the things that are above, the true reality, not on the things of this earth. When I don't fill my mind with hopeless facts of the day, I find it's easier to focus on the kingdom of Jesus. I want to fill my mind with things of hope, and those things of hope come from him. And this is where we find our world today, desperately longing for something better than what we currently see. Even those, I know you've heard this because I have, even those people who don't follow Jesus know something is up with this world. It's not the same. Change, true heart change can only come when we are able to surrender the things that cause us to be restless. If you're not peaceful today, you got to let it go. You got to surrender it. You got to surrender it with every fiber of your being. Focusing on scriptures and developing a relationship with Jesus is the valley of Baca where our tears fill the pools of healing when we see the valley through the words, as in Psalm 84, we find true hope. And isn't that what Advent, you thought I wouldn't get there, and Christmas is all about? Finding true hope. In the last month uh, of this sermon series, we focused on the hope of home. And I want to remind you of some things we learned over the weeks of Advent. We learned that because of Jesus, we have salvation. And he offers us safety. We've learned that hope is found in the midst of God's loving discipline and in his future promise. We learned about the angels and why they sang. They sang because God's promises are true. And we get to see his glory. And then we also learn that God's blessing 
or favor on the life of an individual allows Jesus to come near. In this series, we've attempted to communicate with you the message of home. Our desire in writing this message was to help us all to understand our home is in Jesus. Our dwelling place, our tabernacle is in him. We shared with you that Advent is anticipating the expectant Messiah, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. More than 2,000 years ago, people were living in a world where the prophets had gone silent for 400 years. They were living in a time of Advent, the coming of a Savior. Today, we live in a time where some believe we are living at the end of the end times. I'm one of those believers. I believe this to be exactly where we are on God's timeline Whether you believe this or not, we must admit things are way different than they used to be even 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Time seems to be moving faster. Technology and knowledge are increasing at a tremendous speed. There seems to be so much lawlessness in our world today, so much unrest. It's almost as if we're living in those same circumstances as those living in that time of the 400 years of silence from the prophets. We're living in a season of Advent where we are yearning for a Savior. We're living in a season of the now and the not yet. We're living in a season where we can see our final destination just beyond the valley of Baca. And it all comes back to the mystery of Christ that defines our reality. Christ was dead, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And this is why we gathered here today, unified together, bringing everyone from our various worship styles into one worship in unity. We worship anticipating the coming of a Savior to rapture the church. As we worshiped, did you experience something as we sang these words? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. How about when we sang these words from Phil Wickham's song, House of the Lord, We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. That's the mystery of faith, y'all. And then we sang these words. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. And with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. What was your experience when we sang these words? And then just before the sermon, did these words ring true to you? So I'll cherish the old rugged cross where my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown.